Good morning and welcome to our podcast, Fight in Progress. Good morning, Ace. How are you? I'm good, Susan. How you doing? Good. I'm talking to you here live from the uh, Under the Shield office in Gilbert, Arizona on this almost cloudy day, but still very nice. How are things on your end? That's good. I'm only a few miles from you, so it's nice up here. I'm hoping for rain, though. Yeah, that would be nice. We haven't had any this year. Um, we're going to be talking about a really important, serious topic here today and one that is very near and dear to my heart, something I'm very passionate about. And that's a serious problem of suicide in law enforcement. I uh, don't know if you have any real personal experience with this or if you've lost any friends, Ace. I don't think we've even talked about that. Have you? Uh, nobody in my family or anybody that I know directly, but friends of friends, things like that. I've heard stories, but nothing personal. So I'm interested to see uh, what your background has been doing it for 30 years. So I'm sure you've had uh, some people close to you. Unfortunately, I, I have lost one client many years ago, and it's kind of become my mission now to make sure that I don't ever let that happen again. And I think a lot of it has come from yeah. some misunderstandings and the resources and things. And this is what I want us to be able to, to do today is to have a open, honest discussion about suicide and prevention, not just awareness. I think there's a lot of talk in the mental health world within law enforcement about awareness. And I think you'd almost have to be living under a rock to not be aware of it being a problem. Yeah. Um, from what you and I talked about, you have some material and some numbers that we're going to go over that I think might surprise some people, especially people in the industry. I know it surprised me. Um, we'll be talking about the numbers and uh, what people don't know. And then some of the issues with training. Uh, we'll go through what um, Under the Shield offers and how it's different and why we think that that's an important thing to offer. Uh, before we get into it, though, today, we're going to talk about our sponsor real quick. We have the same sponsor, Universal Fitness, MMA, um, BJJ Gym, and uh, and Striking. Uh, they had me a few weeks back. They were awesome. They kicked my butt. Uh, we talked about them the last couple of episodes. Uh, they're taking care of us and sponsoring us early on in the show, so we want to take care of them. I have uh, all their info. We're going to post that up here for you in a minute. And uh, if you guys can, reach out and support a local business. They're doing good things, and it's uh, really good for law enforcement and military. He's uh, sending me some studies. We're going to be going over some uh, how... BJJ and fitness and things like this can help with uh, PTSD and some other issues that people have, especially in our line of work. So that'll be really cool. But anyway, check them out. They've been awesome. Uh, they're a good place to work with. And I know just from dealing with clients that take jujitsu, this is a great stress reliever. Plus it kind of hones some fine skills too, that are going to be beneficial to law enforcement officers. And I know these are here in Mesa. These are, is a, this is a corporate sponsor here in Mesa, Arizona. But if you're someplace else in the country in a different part and you have a, an MMA gym that would be interested in also sponsoring Fight in Progress, we'd love to hear from them. You can just send either of us an email and we'll be happy to reach out to them. But let's get mm -hmm. into this serious subject because this is one that truly I don't know that everyone is aware is that it's a problem. And the, the issue for me is that there's so many trainings out there that are calling this suicide prevention when the reality is, is it suicide awareness. So let's go over the numbers. Mm -hmm. There's an organization out there that 
is uh, keeping track of these numbers. They started in 2016. There were 143 that they verified. Uh, 2017, there were 172. 2018, there were 174. 2019, there were 228. And to date, the numbers are, are looking a lot lower at 125. And hopefully we'll have time to get into that as well. But as you can see, the trend from 16 to 19 goes from 143 to 228. And these are just verified suicides. Um, there's a real problem in our statistics, as there always is in any statistics, that the numbers can be manipulated based on reporting. But I think we also have some other issues that, again, we'll, we'll talk about that as we talk a little bit more about what under the shield sees. Um, I pulled up some research also that I thought you'd find interesting, Ace, as well. And it says that 13 out of every 100,000 people die by suicide in the general population. And the right. experts are willing to say that law enforcement is um, a higher population of suicide. It has been, probably always has been, but we haven't been keeping the numbers um, too accurately. But for law enforcement, it goes from 13 out of every 100,000. They say to 17. I've even seen it as high as 23 out of every 100,000. So, you know, we can't afford to lose anybody. One is too many in this industry and we can do something about it. One thing I want our audience to know, if nothing else, I want them to understand suicide in this industry is not about mental illness. Please hear me say that. I'm not telling you that there's never been a suicide in this industry that may have had something to do with mental illness, but I'm telling you the majority of them have absolutely nothing to do with mental illness. We are seeing too many people hurting and feeling frustrated. And as we've talked about in previous shows, you guys are trained to be problem solvers. And sometimes you take this on when you can't solve everyone's problems and even the problems at home. And that's why we're going to, in October, I think we've talked about, we're going to dedicate the month of October to family issues, relationship issues, communication, because suicide in this industry is a multifaceted problem. We cannot look at it from just one place. And I think we've tried to do that for too long. Have you ever even had any type suicide prevention, Ace? I know they talked about uh, dealing with those kind of issues in the academy. Um, since I got out of the academy, mm -hmm. I haven't had any kind of training. That's been almost did four they years. Really give, was it awareness or was it prevention that you had in the academy? Um, having talked with you now, I think it was more of an awareness class. Like, hey, this is something that is more prevalent in your industry. Just know about it and have your eyes open to it. I don't know that I was given a whole lot of tools, although it was four years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Don't ask me what I did yesterday. Uh, but tell me, why do you think you, you work in this industry? Why do you think suicide mm -hmm. is such a problem in your profession? Uh, just talking to the people that I know in my circles and some of the stresses that we deal with, a lot of it is just keeping things inside, right? We talked last week about that uh, psychological garbage can, right? And I think that mm -hmm. when these guys are dealing with these issues and these things build up. We don't know what a, what a healthy outlet might be, right? Some of us just naturally have a healthy outlet. We work out a lot or we, you know, go to 
you know, Brazilian jiu-jitsu gyms or we, we train or we do whatever, go out to the range. Uh, we have some healthy outlets, but I think one of the key things is communication and having somebody to talk to about these issues and being able to unload those things. Um, mm -hmm. And we're kind of taught not to do that at home. And when we do it at work, it's kind of like this little echo chamber and we all just kind of whine and scream at each other. So I think that we, we don't really know a healthy outlet. I think we just lack the education on how to properly carry that weight around. Um, and, in, and in the industry, at least from my experience, something that's admirable, I mean, for better or worse, something that's admirable is being able to carry all that weight by yourself. And uh, that's not necessarily the healthiest answer from what we're learning, you know what I mean? And it's def definitely right. what the numbers are showing that that's probably not the healthiest answer. There's a better solution out there. And I think that's what we're gonna touch on today. So what are the causes that you're seeing or from your experience, what's, what's kind of leading people down that road on your end, more the psychological end and the stress end? Well, I think first of all, it's very confusing when the mental health world comes up with some pretty irrational attitudes and ideas about why law enforcement officers um, are killing themselves at a rate of three times higher than dying in the line of duty. And that's been pretty consistent for many years now, actually. And mm -hmm. it's always been very insulting, in my opinion, for mental health people to talk about law enforcement officers and suicide and try to blame it on access to a firearm. I have actually heard some of the so-called experts, gurus, whatever, that have been around for many years. And one of the articles I even found that I found quite entertaining, to be honest with you, was talking about officers not taking their guns home with them. And if you have to take your gun home with you, please don't leave it sitting out on a counter where you could have access to it to just walk by and impulsively pick it up and use it. That is so insulting to this population. And it really and truly, in my opinion, has nothing to do with it. Uh, do you usually shoot yourselves? Sure. Do you know why that is? Why would you think it is, Ace? seems like an effective means to solve the problem if that's what you're trying to do. And you know exactly what it takes versus how many pills and what kind you'd have to swallow to make sure you didn't just get sick, somebody find you and, and then it's going to be even in your um, thought process of being as down and frustrated and whatever's going on, that's only going to make things worse. So of course right. you are familiar with it, but should I even ask you how many guns you have? <laughs> I'm happy to tell you, I, I have nine. So you could take the ones, you could take everything that's issued, but I'm still gonna have something. And in a state like this in Arizona, I mean, especially people in law enforcement are on the conservative side of things, which most of us are. We, we own plenty of firearms most of the time. Exactly. And, and, you know, if we take their theory that it's access to a firearm, then Arizona should be one of the highest, the states with the highest rate of suicides, given everybody out here owns a gun because we don't have yeah, to have logically. a concealed carry permit. And hunters, you would think then would be higher um, risk for suicide than non hunters. And I just don't think that that theory holds water. And it's pretty insulting, but there was an entire study done asking departments about uh, the probability and the, um, I guess, the 
just housing ability for them to allow officers to leave their guns at work. And I'd love to see a survey done to see how many, even if there was a place to store a firearm at work, how many of them would actually do it, especially today with officers being ambushed yeah. off duty, on duty. It's just not going to happen. And my no guess way. is, is you probably carry, carry a gun with you everywhere you go, don't you? 24 seven and almost all the officers I know do. And the ones that don't, we, we talk to them, we try to educate them. Hey, you're not just a cop when you're here in uniform, you swore the oath. Part of the oath is when you're out and around and you're doing things, when you witness something, you know, sometimes it's good. I think most times it's good to be a good witness, but God forbid something's yeah. happening and you're not prepared to take care of business. That's, I mean, that's why we do what we do. Absolutely. And I've told officers that I've had to deal with officers that were off duty and not prepared and things went bad. That's a whole different subject to try to process than officers that are off duty with the means to protect the public themselves, their families and have something go down. Again, we go back yeah. to, we've trained you to be problem solvers and you're not just problem solvers, you know, Monday through Fridays or whatever your work days are and on shift. You're that way all the time. So I think yeah. that we've kind of missed the boat. And I think we've sent a really bad message to law enforcement when the mental health resources that are supposed to be there to help are, are making statements like that, that that's what causes it. And I think that then it just causes more of a disconnect between the mental health world and the law enforcement world. And so we're going to have, we've got to change this, this whole dialogue of how we're explaining this to you. And I can tell you at Under the Shield, because of the fact that we're not mandated reporters, I have a master's in counseling, I'm board certified as an expert in traumatic stress, but because I'm not a mandated reporter, officers call and or come into my office every week and can walk in and tell me that they've had their gun in their mouth. And we begin to process then everything that's happening with them, what's going on, and do you want to know what the one common denominator is to every single one I've dealt with for over two decades, our stress coaches have dealt with on the 855 crisis line. Do you know what the one common denominator is? No. Sleep deprivation. No, oh, I should and have known that. And it's interesting. You should have done that. <laughs> I think you've been in here a few times with sleep deprivation of your own. Um, but it's interesting because the part of the frustration for them is they don't know why everything in their world seems to be so bad because they can actually point to things being pretty good. Marriage is okay. Kids are okay. Job is okay. And they don't really understand why they feel like they feel. And it's all coming back mm -hmm. to sleep deprivation. Yeah, I have, Kind of when you were talking about the gun issue and departments wanting to take the guns from officers, I feel like it comes from the same school of thought where we have people in society or in political positions where they think that guns are causing homicides, right? Guns don't just jump out of cars and start shooting people. Um, there was a, a story or a, a, a picture that a friend of mine sent to me, uh, I don't know, it has to be years ago now, but there was a guy outside of a gun shop in California and he had a sign and he said, guns killed my daughter, right? Tragic, I'm sure whatever happened in his life, that's tragic. 
Um, but there was a guy next to him. And I think the whole point was to be uh, comedic. I don't know if the story was true or not, but the picture spoke volumes about the problem. The guy next to him was holding a sign that said, forks made my wife fat. And I felt like he had a point <laughs> that it's not the it's not the item that causes the problem. You know what I mean? It's not the presence of the thing. Yeah. There's something going on in the psyche. And I think that's what you're touching on is that there's there's something yes. deeper that we're not properly dealing with and we're just utilizing a tool that's available and you can take away the tool but that doesn't solve the problem so it and, and god knows we're resourceful we'll find another tool <laughs> so it's it, it, there's something deeper there and there's something that needs to be talked about and these these other studies that are talking about weapons and that being the problem i'm not saying that there's no factor there but it doesn't seem to me the untrained eye compared to you that that's the cause of the problem so talking about the band-aid doesn't really fix anything so I think that's why this is such a valuable conversation to have for so many law enforcement people, because we're all kind of scratching at the surface there. And I think most guys in my field can pretty much figure that out for themselves where I'm at. Uh, but then we kind of get stuck on, well, then what is the problem? Well, and here's where I would like to make an example of things that we see and we hear. I was with Lieutenant Colonel Grossman teaching up in Canada it's probably been three, maybe four years ago now. And I know it was in November and we were talking and Dave is always making predictions on things. And I told him, I said, you know, I'm going to make a prediction. And he said, what? And I said, I think we're going to see definitive suicide, meaning gun and mouth pull trigger come down, but we're going to see line of duty death go up. And he kind of looked at me funny, like he can do sometimes. And he goes, I'm going to have to think about that one, Susan. He called me the next February and he said, you know, I've been thinking about that prediction you made. And he goes, you're on to something, but you're the only person talking about it. And I said, well, Dave, let me tell you what's happened since I've seen you over a period, those three months, I had seen a state fed and a county guy. And I don't hesitate to ask people in my office, are you thinking about killing yourself? Because they can safely tell me since I'm not a mandated reporter. And I made the statement, they all said, yes, in some form or fashion. And they all said, little worded a little differently, but that, yes, they were thinking about it, but no one would ever know that they had done it. And I asked one of them one day, I said, I've got a theory on this. Tell me what you're talking about. And he said, Susan, all I have to do is stop a car in heavy traffic and stumble and fall into traffic. And one of two things will happen. I will either get injured and there'll be still money for my family and benefits, or I'm going to die in the line of duty. And now there's a lot of money for my family. If I try to kill myself and I don't succeed, odds are I'm probably going to lose my job and my career. And if I do succeed, most life insurance policies don't pay for suicide. And it really broke my heart because when I first started again, 28 plus years ago, I actually had a client that I didn't know was a client that wound up shooting and killing his wife and his baby and himself. And when I was called to that department later or within a few days or a day or two, um, one of the officers pulled me aside and told me that this person had actually been a client of mine, but he had not talked to me in about six months but he never gave me his right name because you don't have to give me your name. And I said, right then and there, I would do everything in my ability to make sure this never happened again. At that time, 
And I think most people that have worked with law enforcement in any capacity can agree. Most of the suicides we were seeing up until probably eight, 10 years ago, the blood alcohol was extremely high and it was get mad, get drunk and do something impulsive. So in that regard, the impulsivity part of it that they are trying to direct at guns might have had a little merit, but now what we're hearing it under the shield are guys cognitively planning their deaths. And that year that I had made that prediction, January to March, line of duty deaths went up 1200% in the beginning of that year. Many were single car accidents, officers going into high risk situations with no vest and no backup. Again, we have no way of knowing if they were suicides or not, but there's a possibility that they were. And this breaks right. my heart. This tells me these are people who care because again, I think we've talked about your three characteristics being attention deficit disorder, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, adrenaline junkies and caregivers. And this is the caregiver feeling like they're not doing their job or they're not doing enough or they can't do enough. And then families, I hear it from them all the time. My family would be better off without me. This is where we've got to do a better job educating families also because they are the first line of defense. They're going to be the ones who see these early warning signs and yeah. then can get to the proper resource. So I, I think it's important that people understand this is such a, again, a multifaceted issue that we can't just look at it from the gun is the problem. Right. So we're touching on a couple of points there that I want to kind of circle back around to. You said, uh, one, you were talking about how you're not a mandated reporter. And mm -hmm. I had never heard of anyone in your field not being a mandated reporter. So that was fascinating to me that I could come and talk to you and just say whatever I had to say. And if I came in super aggressive one day and said whatever I said, I, I could feel comfortable talking and working through a problem with you and not feeling like you're going to leak a bunch of stuff back to my department to save your job, which would then ruin mine. So, you know, that's something that I think a lot of officers are worried right. about. And in talking with you, I know that that's something that they find really valuable with under the shield. Um, and then secondly, you're touching on how there's a need for training to like a mass education for officers because we're facing so many problems. So, and I, and I feel like I get a lot of that one-on-one -on -one when I go to a session or I'm, or I reach out to under the shield and I'm talking with you or my wife and I meet with you. Uh, that's kind of like our own personal education session, but uh, it seems like you have the ability to be able to teach a class or to have one of your stress coaches come out and teach a class with you and to reach many officers at once instead of waiting for them to reach out to you. And, and that's the key right now. The one-on-one -on -one is great and wonderful and we're here and we're here 24 seven, but when I can put a hundred plus officers in a room and, and with their spouses or significant other, we say what we do is education, not therapy. And is that kind of a play on terms? Probably, but it's very important that we do this. And with the spouses class, again, they're beginning to be trained on what part of the lifestyle they play because they do play a part in the lifestyle. I lived it for 20 years as a wife of a federal law enforcement agent in, in drug enforcement. And nobody ever taught me what my part in all of this was. I had to learn the hard way. So when we can educate spouses and families, even parents, we've had parents come to trainings before 
then now we're covering that first line of defense, which is very, very important. And that class is called Warrior Survival at Home and on the Streets. Then we have a training for supervisors because I see them as kind of the second line of defense. You know, how many times in a police department or a sheriff's department or the troopers or wherever, does somebody get in trouble, you know, either wind up in, in internal affairs or get fired or resign? And people walk around going, yeah, we saw that coming. Yeah, that's no surprise. You know, we saw that. Well, it's time for supervisors to step up. And in the supervisor training, we basically are giving them the signs and symptoms to look for to head things off. We want to get it when it's yeah. episodic, not chronic. And that training is called why good cops make bad decisions because the reality is, is they are good cops that are tired, vitamin depleted, which is another topic we'll cover one day on the show. But right now we need to be getting to officers early in an environment where they can come in and speak honestly about how they're feeling and say, yes, I have considered killing myself and not have somebody freak out and then have to, because state laws mandate that when someone is licensed, they have to report when a person is suicidal, homicidal, or abuse of children, the elderly, or the handicapped. And, and all of us, I think, are mandated reporters uh, where there's abuse. But sometimes for the suicidal part, there has to be a safe place. And I was laughing, I think, reading an article to you the other day that at the mm -hmm. end of the article, <laughs> the very last sentence was talking about getting more resources for law enforcement, it says, researchers are hoping to spark awareness and increase police officer accessibility to confidential mental health resources. Now that's the last sentence of an article on suicide in law enforcement. Now the interesting part mm -hmm. there is, it's a contradiction of terms. Confidential resources where there cannot be confidentiality if the mental health resources are licensed or mandated reporters, not when it comes to suicide. So right. I think it, it gives a, a, a real misconception there about what's available and is it safe? And I know a lot of officers now going into mental health offices to counselors, psychologists. And the first thing they ask is, is this confidential? And I'm hoping that the licensed world is saying yes, except under these circumstances right off the bat, if you walked into my office and the first thing I said to you is everything you say to me is confidential, except these three situations, what's the first thing that would go through your head? I'm not going to talk to her about those things. <laughs> or, or anything else that could possibly be perceived to be me saying that those are things that are going on with me. And mm -hmm. this is where Under the Shield comes in. And all of our stress coaches, again, have I done it, been married to it, raised by it, or given birth. They are stress coaches, not mandated reporters. That's how we have the system set up. Many have masters. We even have one with a PhD in psychology, but she chose not to sit for licensure. Instead, she's a stress coach with Under the Shield. We've got to start to provide more resources like this. And even peer support can be a part of that. 
but it's a little bit dangerous and I'm not sure how much officers will talk to peers that they work with unless it's their good friends. But peer support needs to be a little bit broader and taken outside of your agency so that that might be someone that you would be comfortable talking to if you were sure they weren't going to be your sergeant or lieutenant next week. Right. Yeah. You, you, as an officer, I know because we have a peer support system and mm-hmm. I've, I've spoken with one of them before. I'm friends with a couple of them um, and it's a valuable resource to have, especially at a moment's notice. There's people there already. Um, but there is definitely something to be said for having somebody like you or anybody with under the shield that I can reach out to who I know isn't answerable to the department. You don't work for them. You have no reason to favor them over me or anything like that. I know that you're an unbiased party that I can come and talk to you and all you want to do is help. You don't want to, you're not looking out for the department's liability or well-being. It's not, it's not about them. It's about the individual officer, which I think is hugely necessary. Um, and touching on that, what you said about that, that leadership position and those leadership classes, I couldn't agree more. Uh, we have so many untrained leaders, um, as far as formally trained, they, they become social leaders and they become peer leaders, and then they make it into a sergeant position. And it, great leaders they could be on the road and as a patrol leader, but there are so many things that they may be unaware of, because as an officer, they were unaware of them, just like what we're talking about now. So there's, there's such a right. need for that type of education for somebody who is accountable for the choices and lives of these officers below them. Um, I couldn't imagine being a sergeant and not knowing some of this stuff and not being able to help my guys. Just as a, a peer leader with my officers on my squad, this is hugely important to me. I talk about this. I mean, we do, we do this podcast every Monday. I, I don't, this isn't a job. You know, this is something that we care about, that we want to talk about, that we want to educate people on. It's something I talk about with my officers about all the time. We, I touch on any kind of issues they're having. We talk about where it could be coming from, communication in the home. I love this stuff. And it's because I've learned about, a little bit about it. And I think the more that officers know about it, it'll just spread like wildfire because it's such a useful accumulation of knowledge that makes you so much healthier and so much more capable. And that's all we want to be. We want to be healthy. We want to be capable. We want to be good at what we do. And we can't be good at that if we're filling up that psychological garbage can with a bunch of crap. So we need to figure yes. out how to empty all that out. And so that it's, it's key to train. And I think leaders, it, nothing works without a good leader. So I think that that would be a huge well, place to start the training. And any, any company, any department, it doesn't matter, private or government, your most valuable resource are your employees. They can make you look really good or they can make you look really bad. And we can't afford to lose anybody in law enforcement right now. Um, I think it's, it's a sad statement that again, so much of this is looked at as mental illness. And look, let me just say this, as I say to everybody who comes in my office and is in all the trainings, you guys are and gals are nuts to do what you do. There's nothing about this job on paper that makes a bit of sense. <laughs> other than you're good people who want to make a difference. You're out here trying to help, not not wreak havoc and cause chaos and all of those things. And you take a lot of this stuff very personally. And this is why we've got to change terminology even to things like mental wellness. We've got to focus on officer mental wellness and that includes the home life. I have people call all the time and they say, you know, what all do you deal with at under the shield? And we go, we deal with everything. 
we have to look at the whole lifestyle. We cannot just look at, oh, well, you know, he was in a shooting or he saw a child death or whatever, because those things go home. Even if you're not talking about them, they go home in your mood and your attitude, which creates problems at home. And if you are sleep deprived and you're snapping at your families, those type things, then we've got, a, 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 it's all coming together and we can't just segment it out and go, okay, well, we're just going to deal with this. We deal with all of it. There's nothing we don't deal with and under the shield. And so don't get me wrong too. The mental health people in this are good people. They just have limitations that have been forced upon them because of that license. And this is where we all need to work together. This isn't about saying don't ever go to licensed mental health, but there's over what 800,000 cops in this country right now. And there's room at the table for all of us. I, I can cover a lot of stuff, but I can't cover 800,000 of you. I've, I've tried for 28 years, believe me, but we all have to work together and know what each other's limitations are and the things that we can do and who's going to be best equipped to handle things that could possibly jeopardize someone's job. And so far at Under the Shield, I'm happy to say we have dealt with quite a few that were suicidal. Um, hopefully even next Monday, we may have one on the show who's going to tell his story and how his career was impacted, what was going on with him. And he actually travels and teaches with me. Some will be teaching some of the supervisor classes with me. But I think it's important that we start to hear officers actually saying, yeah, that was me. And here's where I went. I got help and I was able to save my job and my career. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know you mentioned when we were talking about this topic before the episode, you'd mentioned that in some of those reporting parties, the ones that uh, the licensee uh, coaches or therapists, when they say that he may have lost his job, but his life was what was most important. Um, and I feel like on face value, like that's hard to argue with. But I feel like if you think about it for just a second, we contradict that as officers with our actions every day. That's not the most important yes. thing. Most important thing is the, is the duty, is the family, is all these other things. And when that all starts to fall apart, but you saved our life, we still have a lot of issues there. And I'm not, I'm not trying to say that that is not a valuable thing, that you save the person's life or that you help them peel themselves away from the brink of suicide. That's still a great thing. But there, sure. there might be a better way is what I think we're trying to uncover. Well, I think you've already uncovered it. You've been doing it for 30 years almost. But I think that's what we're trying to touch on is the fact that that's not all there is. There's so much more to life than just being alive. I mean, we there's a million quotes that say that exact thing. It's because it's conventional wisdom. We know this, we know this inside. So I think that's why this kind of rings true with people that they can understand why that's a valuable thing. Why if you go to somebody and you're having an issue, if you're feeling like you're in that hole and you don't know how to recover and you feel like, well, maybe it's not worth fighting that fight anymore. You should be able to talk to somebody and not have it burn your whole life down. Now, there may be a reason for that. There may be a reason why, okay, well, if he's having issues to a certain degree, maybe it is better that you put the badge away for a while, put the gun away for a while and deal with your life. Sure. Maybe there's maybe there's a separation there. Um, but I don't know that that's always the case. And I think that's what's implied by the mandated reporter is that that's always the case. And I don't know that that's true. Sure. And you're right. 
Um, and again, you make a really good point because you're talking about people, for example, 9-11 that we're still, uh, you know, trying to remember all of those that are hurting in New York and the fire department and the police department. But when you look at what they did on 9-11, these are people running into a burning building knowing that more than likely they will die, but they're willing to do that to help others. Then when you start looking at the possibility of losing their identity, that I hate has to come from a badge, but because this is a lifestyle and personal and professional collide together more today, probably than ever in the history of law enforcement that I can think of, because you know, we just saw we're up in Camden, New Jersey over the weekend, two officers homes had drive by shootings and one of them had a 10 day old baby at home there. This job doesn't go away just because you go home. And even more so now they're being attacked. Uh, my own children, for example, these were all things that there is no distinct line between on duty and off duty because the criminal element is never off duty. So they perceive you to always be on duty and you have to be. So when that happens, then we've got real conflict that goes on that I don't know that a lot of the licensed mental health people grasp completely. There are some great ones out there. There's a Dr. Brandy Burke in San Antonio, Texas, that I have nothing but the utmost respect for. As a matter of fact, we'll probably have her on the podcast at some point in the future. Uh, Dr. Brady Wilson here in Scottsdale, that's a psychologist that I refer people to. Uh, we, we do it under the shield, refer people to licensed mental health people when the time is right. And again, it's not about replacing them. It's about bringing additional resources to the table to deal with a very specialized population that is a little bit, we'll say unique in how you think yeah. and how you do things, how you act and how you perceive things. We have to acclimate to you not you acclimate to the mental health world. And I think that's what's happened yeah. too many times, unfortunately. Yeah, I think that comes down to a diversity of, of viewpoint or perspective, right? That's where the real value mm -hmm. of diversity is, right? Not of color, skin or anything like that. It's diversity of background and viewpoint, uh, just like on the road for officers who are listening. You, you know that either on your squad or in your department, there's the DUI guy and everything he touches, he's looking at it as a DUI. Right. I'm exactly the same way when it comes to narcotics. I can show up on a DV and I'm thinking, where are the drugs? Right. That's that's how I am. So I totally understand. So in your in your field, I'm sure it's exactly the same. You come at it from a different perspective. So you see things and look for things that they're not necessarily seeing or looking for. They're looking for different indicators or they were trained differently and they have different perspectives and a different focus. And they're already working down a certain line. That's how they were taught. So it's, it's having all those tools available. It's just like we talk about with, you know, we were, we're covered in all this crap now. I got 15 different less lethal options. The more options you have, the more capable you are, right? It can be a little burdensome yes. on one person, but that's why we have so many different tools and so many different people in different venues, like having you and having somebody in a licensed field that it's not bad to have both. I would say that's beneficial. You have two perspectives. You can bounce things off. That's what second opinions are for. So I, I see nothing but value in that that perspective. Yes. Well, this is a topic that, as you know, I could talk about for days and I'm, I'm just very passionate about it because I just want nothing but the best for all of you guys and gals that are out there doing this job. 
because at under the shield we feel like you're the only essential element that there is and so when you're when you're suffering and you're hurting then it's going to impact all of us i tell people all the time without police in our cities deputies in our counties and troopers on our highways there's none of us that are going to be able to leave home without a full arsenal of weapons and we're beginning to see this in some of the cities now with minneapolis city council being shocked at why crime is going up when they're trying to dismantle and dis, uh, defund the police department i just go I think my German Shepherd Heidi can figure that one out pretty easily. I, I'm not sure where they're missing that link and that correlation, but apparently they are. And so I'm sure these, this is a topic we'll continue to cover uh, off and on uh, throughout the history and life of this podcast and have some people on that will share their stories and talk to us about it. But I just want to emphasize to anyone who's listening, whether you're the spouse of a law enforcement officer or you're law enforcement or you're the sibling of one or parent of one, please, if you have any concerns, if you see that they're not sleeping, if you see that they're maybe drinking more than they were, they're isolating themselves, please reach out to us at Under the Shield. Our, our number is on the screen. Call. We will help you help them. We're not a referral source. When you call us, you get one of our stress coaches and we're going to give you the information and the tools, the all natural products and things that will help them get back in balance, begin to sleep better. If we can get their sleep patterns turned around in 24 to 48 hours, it is like night and day difference in attitudes, everything. And we just can't emphasize this enough. Please call us. We're here 24 seven, 365 you will always get a stress coach when you dial that number and you hit one for immediate crisis. If you hit for one of our stress coaches specifically, it may very well go to the voicemail if they're on the phone, but the way the system is set up, when you hit one for immediate crisis, it will go to one of the stress coaches. Do not hesitate to yep. call. We will never ask your name. We will never ask where you work or who you work for because it doesn't, that doesn't matter. All that matters is you're reaching out for help and that there's someone there that can provide that assistance to you or to your loved one. Yeah. And for those of you listening on podcasts and not on video, um, Chuck, if you wanted to throw that number up again, I'll read it out for everybody. Um, contact for us 24 seven. If you need to talk to somebody, it's going to be 855 889 Two three four eight. I'll give it to you one more time. 855-889-2348. They're all confidential. It's 24-7. And Susan, you were talking about uh, indicators for uh, for spouses or for friends or for people that are also in, in the department looking out for other officers. Uh, I, think you, I think you described every officer I know, sleep deprived maybe, um, <laughs> either abusing energy drinks or alcohol more than they should. And, and this this is something that I, I kind of feel passionate about with this particular topic when it comes to mental wellness for officers, because you and I have talked about it and that's the focus, right? It's not mental illness, it's mental wellness. Yes. This is upkeep, right? Yes. You don't go to the gym yes. as physical therapy unless you're injured, right? But we most of us go right. to the gym to make ourselves healthy. That's exactly what we're talking about mm -hmm. here. This is about making yourself a stronger, more capable individual so that you can manage those stresses. because as far as I can tell, and I, I don't work in some gigantic department where we see everything all the time. Uh, 
And from what I can tell, this is something that every officer faces to some degree. This is something that we yes. all need to be prepared for, that we should all be better off knowing about and being educated about. And that's just about mental wellness, not even just suicide. So if, I, I get it, if there's indicators, obviously reach out to somebody, but I would say for any officer, new, old, otherwise, if you're looking into it, educate yourself on these topics, educate yourself on how to be mentally prepared to deal with burdens and to be able to communicate with those people around you, especially your spouse, your loved ones, those are the people that are going to keep you afloat. And th this is an invaluable topic to have your head wrapped around uh, when you get into this kind of work or any kind of first responder work. This is, you, you carry burdens. It's what you do. That's, that's what you're there for. So I think anyone should look into this and any, everyone should reach out to a stress coach because you all have it. I don't, I don't care if it's good, bad, or otherwise. Stress is change, man. We all go through change every day. The only constant is change. So reach out to a stress coach, learn how to develop those tools. I'm not saying you have to go to them for the rest of your life, but you'll learn some things, I guarantee it. And go to our website, uh, www.undertheshield.com. Emails are there, phone number is listed there also. If any of your departments are interested in any of our trainings, please reach out to us. We'll be happy to send you the course outlines. We can send you uh, references and departments where we've taught before. I've taught for everybody from the FBI at Quantico to the Marine Corps, to the Air Force, to all the state and locals, Border Patrol, all, but we'll be happy to provide those references also. But we just want to get in to try to help. And training is the best way to accomplish this in large groups. So we'll continue so, Susan, to talk about these things. Yes. So you were talking about that stress coach um, that you have your mm -hmm. stress coaches. So I know that that's something that I'm fascinated in. Do office, can officers reach out through the same line or same website if they want to take a role as a stress coach once they kind of discover this topic? Yes. Uh, it's a 40 hour certification. And of course with COVID, everything's been a little bit weird trying to get anything scheduled. But I know we have several agencies around the country uh, that are interested in providing that 40 hour certification and we'll come to you if we can get enough people in that area. And we would love to, we're especially interested in the guys and gals that are getting close maybe to retirement, that this is a way they can continue to give back to their population by being a stress coach and being available. And it really, all it means is you can be on the beach of Belize for all I care with your cell phone, as long as you're available by cell phone to take those calls. And I think it's a great, great way to use all your experience and give back to the ones coming up that have kind of taken your place in this vital field. Yeah, that's awesome. I think uh, officers should look into this and they should sign up to be that stress coach, like peer support type thing. Um, I found it to be invaluable, this kind of knowledge in my squad. And we talk about this kind of stuff all the time. Well, and let me say with winter coming up, I don't think Ace is a coffee drinker, but I certainly am. Uh, today I am drinking out of a mug from, I can never figure out the camera here, but anyway, it's with the United States Forest Service. But if you'd like to, for me to be having coffee out of one of your mugs, all you do is reach out to us. We'll give you an address where you can send one and we'll be happy to promote your department. And I'll continue to drink out of that mug periodically on different episodes. So we just want to thank you for joining in with us today with this vital topic of law enforcement suicide. Let's, 
let's make a difference. Please reach out to us. If you have concerns about yourself, about someone you work with, about a family member, don't hesitate to call us. We're here to help not to refer and we will do everything we can to make sure they get what they need and share this podcast with friends, family, your departments, let us know topics that you're interested in and send your questions to us. You can email them to us, but we'd, we'd love to get your input. Yeah. Thanks guys. We really appreciate you uh, sponsoring us when you can, like the gym did. And you know, we, this is all a nonprofit. So we do this just for you guys and just because it's something that we're passionate about. So we appreciate any support that we get, any ideas that you guys have guests you want to have on uh, or any um, sponsorships or support that you want to throw our way. We are more than happy to take on anybody. Um, we're just grateful to have the outlet and be able to talk about these things that we find really important. So thanks so much. Have a